right. Well, today we're back in Romans again, so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to chapter 6 there. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first three verses here of chapter 6, so today we're starting in verse 4. If you would stand with me as we look at this and receive the word of the Lord. Romans 6, starting in verse 4, Paul says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Let's pray. God, this is not just good news. This is great news. So God, I pray through your Holy Spirit you would just... Give us understanding of what this really means, of what we have in you, God, that we may be changed and the world may see that. Father, I pray that you would just have your way in this. Speak to our hearts, renew our minds for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said two weeks ago, we looked at the first three verses of this chapter and Part of that was about what it means to be baptized into Christ Jesus, as it says there in verse 3. And I pointed out how Paul is not talking about, he's not referring to the physical act of water baptism here, but he's talking about what physical water baptism symbolizes. When we put our faith in Jesus for salvation, an immediate and permanent transformation takes place. And we looked at how because of the particular Greek word that is used here, it means that the one who is baptized takes on the qualities of and is forever identified with the one he or she was baptized in. And I want to touch on this just a little bit more this morning because I think it's important for us to really understand what this really means. And it's going to help us better grasp the verses that we just read here. So being baptized into Christ Jesus means that we are now identified with the things that God identifies in Jesus. In your notes there, in your bulletin, I've listed five things that we now have from God's perspective and what it means to be baptized into Jesus. The first one is that we now have the fulfillment of the law credited to us. The law of Moses is God's standard. It's what he required in order to be right with him. We learn in chapter 5 that what it actually did was reveal just how sinful we really are and how incapable we are of meeting all the requirements of the law. Jesus is the only one who has kept the whole law. He is the only one identified by God as having fully met the requirements of it. Being baptized into him means then that we are now identified by God as having met the requirements of it as well. Not based on us and what we've done, but based on Jesus and what he has accomplished. 
That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. You're saying you think that you fulfill or meet God's requirements through your effort at obeying the law, but I'm telling you, the requirements are met only in me. And when we are in Christ, His fulfillment of the law is His fulfillment of the law that is then imputed to us. And Paul actually expounds on this even further later on as we'll get to in Romans Being baptized into Jesus means that we also now have the righteousness of Jesus. None of us are able to be fully righteous on our own. As long as we wear this body of flesh, we are going to fall well short of righteousness. And no matter how good we think we are, we will never be considered righteousness in our own effort. In our own. If anybody here thinks that you are righteous in your own doing, in your own effort, you have been greatly deceived. I think we pretty much all know this. I mean, uh, we pretty much just all know that we fall far short of any righteousness of God. But many people have this misunderstanding of God's grace and that they think that. Grace means that we try to be as good as we can so that God will accept that, so that he will accept the, the righteousness we are able to achieve, but then the parts where we fall short, then his grace covers or excuses that part. It's as if God accepts the righteous part of us, and in his grace is there to cover the sinful part of us. And I believe this is what leads to this idea that some people have, that there are some Christians who are more favored and more accepted by God than others. And if it was based on our own righteousness, then that would be the case. If someone was able to be more righteous than somebody else, then God would accept them more and have greater favor on them. But you know what the truth is? The truth is that God doesn't accept any effort on our part. None whatsoever. There is nothing about us alone that he accepts. The Bible says that even our righteous acts are what? Filthy rags to God. A holy and perfect God cannot accept filthy rags, no matter how good we may think they are. What his grace actually means is that he allows us to get in on the righteousness of Jesus. It's not our righteousness and grace covers the rest. God's grace means that he fully accepts us based on the righteousness of Jesus himself. And it is absolutely mind-boggling to me that he would allow us to have that. And if that's the case, then being baptized into Jesus means that we also have his full acceptance and his full favor. If you have been baptized into Christ, which is what happens at the moment of salvation, you are just as accepted by God as Jesus is. If you have been baptized into Christ, you have just as much of God's favor on your life as Jesus has. Not because of you, but because of him. You know, we tend to think that we fall in and out of God's favor based on how we behave. If we fail, we're out of God's favor, and the only way to get it back is for us to just act better. 
And if we sin, we fall out of God's acceptance. And the only way for Him to then accept us back is for us to, to act more religious. Now, don't get me wrong. God, God does not approve of our sin whatsoever. But there's a big difference between not approving of a behavior and not approving a person. God may not approve of your behavior, but if you have been baptized into Christ, there is no way for you to leave his acceptance or his favor. Now, if it was based on what you do, then that wouldn't be the case. But again, it's not based on you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. If you have been baptized into Christ, you have been made a son of the king. Just like Jesus, you are now identified with the things that he is identified with. My children will, of course, do things that I don't approve of, and they do these things quite often, unfortunately. But no matter how bad their behavior is, it doesn't change in the least bit their standing with me. My love for them doesn't diminish one drop. My acceptance of them doesn't lessen a bit. Now, I will address their behavior and I will correct them, but there is absolutely nothing that they can do that would change the fact that I am theirs and they are mine. Nothing. Later on in Romans 8, Paul says, nothing. I want you to hear that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Because it's about him. Can God's favor toward Jesus diminish at all? No. Can his acceptance of Jesus be any less? No. Well, neither can it be for those who have been baptized in Jesus. And again, this is where some are going to say, well, you can't really say that because people are going to take that as a license to just live however they want to. But... No, because remember, last two weeks ago, we looked at the way Paul addresses this very issue in verses 1 and 2 and basically says, look, if you've truly been saved, good luck trying to do that. You can't, because you've now got the divine nature in you. If you have been baptized into Christ, you can, and the reason for that is because of the last thing that we get when we are in Christ. We get his desire to please the Father. This is one of the signs of someone who has been genuinely saved. There is a desire in your heart to honor and to glorify and to please and worship Him. If you have no affection at all, no desire whatsoever for the things of God, you need to check your heart. Because that may be a good indication The Holy Spirit isn't there. Speaking forward to what God was going to do through Jesus, he said in Jeremiah 31, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. It's no longer this outward list that we look at and follow as our guide in order to know how to live right. It's now a desire that God has put within us that guides us. And how we are to live. The old nature dies along with its desire towards sin. And is replaced with his divine nature that desires the things of God. Here's a good illustration of what it means to be baptized into Christ. 
if I take my hand and I submerge it into a bucket of red paint, when I pick my hand back up, it's going to look a whole lot different than it did before it went into that paint, right? It will now be colored red. Not because of anything that has to do with my hand itself at all, but because that's the color of the paint that it was submerged in. My hand's going to feel different. It's going to be kind of smooth and, and slimy. Not because of anything my hand produced, but because that's the texture of what my hand was baptized in. My hand's going to smell different. No matter what my hand may have smelled like before it went into the paint, once it comes back up and is covered in what it has been baptized in, it's going to smell like the paint smells. Everything that the paint is identified with is now identified by my hand. And the truth is, you really wouldn't be able to see my hand at all. You would only be able to see what my hand has been baptized in because my hand has been hidden within the paint. This is what it means to be baptized into Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.3 says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Everything God sees when he looks at us has nothing to do with us at all. And it has everything to do with what we have been baptized in. Everything to do with Jesus. So it's not about how well we obey the law. The law is fulfilled in Jesus. It's not about everything we have to do to try to earn or remain in God's favor. We have the favor of God fully in Jesus. It's not about how righteous we can be. It's the righteous that we have been given in Jesus. It's His righteousness. This is what it means to be baptized into Jesus, and this is what water baptism symbolizes. We go in one way, and we come back up a completely different other being. We are now identified with everything that God identifies in Jesus. Water baptism is just a physical representation of a greater spiritual reality that happens the moment we put our trust in Jesus. And I really wanted us to get what this means this morning, to be baptized into something, because there's something else that verse 3 says that we have been baptized in. And at the end of the message two weeks ago, I said it's something that I don't believe we talk about enough, but it's something if we could really grasp, it'd be hard for us to stop talking about it. It says that not only have we been baptized into Christ, but we've been baptized into his death. And that's what Paul's talking about in the verses following that that we just read. Next point in your notes. You got to really get this. There is not a problem in this world that death won't fix. Am I right? Think about it. You have a problem with your coworker? If you stopped breathing, you wouldn't be having that problem anymore. You're struggling with a particular sin you can't seem to overcome? It wouldn't be an issue anymore if you were dead. Got a real hard struggle in your marriage right now? The struggle wouldn't be there if one of you were to check out. I know this 
because when Carol and I were struggling so hard in our, our marriage, to tell you the truth, death was the only thing that we could see as the remedy for the misery that we were in. We knew divorce wasn't an option. We had put a stake on that from the beginning. We knew that wasn't going to happen. And so if that wasn't going to be an option, then the only way we could see to end this misery that we were going through is if one of us was just taken out of this world. And the truth is, it took a death in order for us to experience the breakthrough that we now live in today. It took a death of self, a death of our flesh. And it is a glorious thing. There's not a problem in this world that death won't fix. But here's the kicker to that. And this is something if we can really grasp hold of, I believe it would change everything, and that is this. Not only do we have access to the benefits of Jesus' life, but we also have access to the benefits of his death. Verse 5 here says that we have been united with him in the likeness of his death. Verse 6 says that we have been crucified with him. The point of the gospel is that you are dead. That's the point of the gospel. You're dead. You who operated entirely out of a sinful nature, you who made every decision based on on how it benefited you and pleased your flesh, you who failed to meet God's standard, you who interprets everyone other's actions through the lens of rejection, you who was labeled not wanted, rejected, and abandoned, you who still can't seem to forgive yourself for something that happened in the past, you who feel like you have to be in control of everything around you, you who can't seem to overcome this habitual sinful habit that you just get in over and over and over if you have been baptized into Christ Jesus listen to me that part of you is dead it's dead that is the good news of the gospel the moment you put your faith in Jesus that part of you died it was crucified right up on the cross with Jesus everything that you feel guilty about everything that you think God doesn't like about you everything that you struggle with from God's perspective It's dead. And his perspective is the only true one in the whole universe. Part of you died and you have been clothed, bathed, resurrected in the life of Jesus himself. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It means I no longer live according to who I was. I now live in who I am in him. I no longer live as an orphan in need, separated from the Father. I now live as a favored son of the King. 
I no longer live trying to be good. I live in the righteousness that I've been given in Jesus. I no longer live trying to earn or maintain God's favor. I'm motivated by the fact that I already have all of his favor that I can ever want or imagine. I always say that we need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. And in my opinion, this is a part of the gospel that we need to be reminding ourselves about the most. Because Satan wants nothing more than for you to not believe this. He wants you to live as if your old self was still alive. And he will bombard you every day with every lie under the sun to get you to believe that. Of course, Jesus showed us how to combat the lies of the enemy when he was tempted in the wilderness. Every time Satan came at him with an accusation or a temptation, he would immediately fire back with the truth of God's word. And so when you are hell-bent on trying to win the argument, you need to stop and remind yourself that you are dead. A dead man doesn't have to win anything. When you're worried about what others think about you, you can come against that with the truth that you have died. A dead corpse doesn't have those kinds of concerns. When you are alone with your internet device tempted, tempted to click on that link, you can just stop, preach the point of the gospel that you are dead. A corpse doesn't have those kinds of struggles. Tell you what, folks, God's word is so powerful. Paul says that the gospel is the power of God. Several years ago, I learned kind of a a technique, a way to access the power of Romans 6 to overcome my flesh in certain situations. When I feel tempted to defend my rights, satisfy my desires, maintain my comfort and my control, all I have to do is close my eyes and picture Jesus hanging on that cross in the blood and the gore and the agony. I just imagine his body relaxing going limp as the last remnants of air leaves his lips. And I see his head sink down. And then I replace his face with mine. And I start quoting the truth of God's word. I have been crucified with Christ. I have become united with him in the likeness of his death. My old self was crucified with him. My body of sin has been done away with. I have been baptized into his death. I'll tell you what happens. In that moment, the Holy Spirit takes over. If we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be united in the likeness of his resurrection. The divine nature that I've been given then takes over and draws me away from my flesh and to what God desires for me. 
And I wish I could say that I do this every single time my old self tries to pop its head up out of the grave. But I can't say that. More often than not, I think my flesh wins. This is what the sanctification process is about, growing in Christ, learning how to use the tools that we have been given in Jesus. The more I remind myself of this truth, the more I start really believing it, and the more my flesh loses in those situations. So for those of you who are still struggling with things in your path, past and Satan is lying to you, telling you that you are no good, that you're damaged goods, you're dirty, you're unclean, you're unwanted, unforgiven. You can come against those lies with the truth of Jesus' death that you have been given access to. That part of you is dead. It died on the cross with Jesus and was buried in a tomb. You have been united with him in the likeness of his death and have now been set free to live in the likeness of his resurrection. To live his life. You are now identified with his restoration, his cleanliness, his acceptance, and his forgiveness. The title of this message comes from a phrase you're probably familiar with that was used when death row inmates were led to their execution. As the inmate left his cell and was taken down the walk to the gallows or the electric chair or the gas chamber, a guard escorting him would call out, Dead Man Walking. And it signified that his fate was sealed. There was no escape from what was about to happen. And although he was still alive for the moment, he was just as good as dead to this world. That phrase has expanded into a euphemism for anyone facing impending or unavoidable loss. As Christians, you and I are dead men and dead women walking in this world. Every day the Holy Spirit leads us into situations where we get to die. I said, get to die. Because just as difficult and painful as Jesus' death was, in reality, it was such a glorious thing. Hebrews 12, 2 says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So is the death of our flesh At first, a painful and difficult thing, but it is so glorious and leads us into pure joy. We get to live out the truth of Romans 6 in a tangible way. Without the death of the old, there can be no resurrection of the new. When we die to our flesh, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And when that happens, we are no longer just going through the religious motions. We're no longer gathering together and just singing about it or just reading about it or or just merely being in intellectual agreement with it in our mind. We are living it out in a tangible way in real time. My goodness, what a privilege that we have been given in Jesus. Man. 
I'll wrap it up with this. I've always been intrigued by Native American history. Ever since I was a little kid, read all kinds of books on the Indians. One of my favorite things to read is the eyewitness accounts of those Indians who were actually there at the Battle of the Little Bighorn against George Custer. And they're recounting exactly the way they saw things going down. And one of those accounts I read was from an Oglala Sioux chief named Lodog. And he said that when the camp was first attacked, all his brave warriors gathered up and got on their horses. And he got to the front of them and he said he turned around and said to them, It is a good day to die. Follow me. That phrase has been used in movies and things ever since then. But you know, I was thinking that that's not really the first time that that phrase was used by a leader to his men. Jesus said basically the same thing in Matthew 16, 24, Mark 8, 34, and in Luke 9, 23, when he said, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. What happens on a cross? You die. Say, men, come die and follow me. As Christians, every morning we wake up, we should face the day with the attitude, it is a good day to die. It's in that death that we are then able to live in the supernatural power that we have been given in Jesus. That's how the world will know there's something different about us. Not by the songs we sing. Not by the dial on our radio. Not by the bumper sticker on our car. We are dead men and women walking in this world, but alive in the power of Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. God, what a glorious truth this is. Too big and too glorious for us to comprehend in our puny human brains. So, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you again to come and help us with this. Lord, I pray that we would be those who do take up our cross daily. Lay down our flesh. That we would access the benefits of your death so that we may then live out the benefits of your life. God, I pray for those right now who have bought into the lies of Satan about their old self, about their shamed self. Lord, would you let the truth of your gospel wash those lies away. God, I thank you that you no longer look at us according to us and our own sorry ability. But you look at us through the lens of your son. Blood-colored lens. And Lord, we claim that. 
claim that and nothing else. That's why Paul said, I claim to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Because the truth is, I have nothing of value in this world but that. And I can come to God on no merit, no other credential, but Christ and Him crucified. Lord, would you make that real to us? We would be living it out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.